glory and the honor and praise for all he's about to do in our lives. And I really mean that. Only to Jesus belongs the praise. And God's wonderful people said amen and thank you. Thank you. Oh, my Lord. From my heart, I say thank you for being with me and being my wonderful partner. And I thank God for your support and your love and prayers. And today we're going to talk about something really important because I think this is so important. How to have victory over the devil. How to have victory over the devil on a daily basis. So let's pray. Wonderful Lord, I thank you. Oh, dear Jesus, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love and your victory. Give you all the praise and God's precious people said, Amen. And Lord, I pray every need will be met today. Every need in their life will be met today. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. You see, I got a nice couch now. I can sit on this couch and teach. If I want to, I can stand and minister. So I love it. Okay, let's read Luke 11. Luke 11, beginning at verse 21 through 22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoil. This is the picture of a tyrant, an oppressor. The Lord is talking about a strong man who resides with confidence in a very strong place, or a very strong castle, or a a tower in which he is total master. In this amazing parable, uh, the Lord is talking about this strong man who in this place or castle has a great deal of ill-gotten spoils and plunders. And uh, he's gotten all these spoils and, pl and plunders from people he oppressed. So here is this strong man sitting in his stronghold, fully armed, thinking no one can defeat him. So it says, when a strong man armed, verse 21, Luke 11, keeps his palace, castle, his goods are in peace. So he's sitting there in his palace, his stronghold, fully armed, because it says when a strong man armed, he's fully armed, and he's thinking, okay, no one can defeat me, I'm undefeatable, but now a stronger than he shall come upon him. So here's a second man, stronger, comes against him and defeats him. And now the Lord said, and overcomes him. He taketh from him all his armor. So notice here, not only the stronger man defeats him, but the stronger man takes away all his weapons, all his armor. He taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth 
his spoils. So not only does he take away his weapons, but he also releases his captives. The stronger man releases those who have been oppressed or bound by the strong man. And then it says he also plunders his goods. So in this parable, we, we, we see that the first man that the Lord talks about in verse 21, when a strong man armed, he's talking about the devil. But the second man who is stronger is the Lord Jesus. So on the cross, on the cross, the Lord Jesus defeated Satan. So it says, when a stronger than he shall come upon him. The Lord is talking about the, his, his work on Calvary. Hallelujah. <laughs> defeats Satan completely. He defeats Satan permanently, eternally. And he takes away his weapon. So the Lord is talking about himself here in verse 22. When a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him. He taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divides the spoil. That is such an amazing statement because Paul the Apostle explains it in Colossians 2. So let's go to Colossians 2. We're going to read beginning at verse 13. Where the Lord... Uh, it shows what the Lord did for us. And Paul writes this. He says in verse 13, and you being dead, this is Colossians 2, 13, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he, this is Jesus, quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it all out of the way. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And then it says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them. And that word show, by the way, means spectacle of them openly triumphing over them in it. Wow. So Paul now says that on the cross, the Lord defeats Satan completely because that's what he's talking about here, nailing it to his cross, blotting out, verse 14, what was against us, contrary to us, took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross, and now he spoils principalities and powers. He makes a show of them, spectacle of them, openly triumphing. This is what Jesus was talking about there in Luke 11. So now the devil is defeated permanently and disarmed. Disarmed. Now, there's something very amazing in Ephesians 6.12 because when we, when we read Ephesians 6.12, we need to put it together with Luke 11 and with Colossians 2 because this is very, very important. So Ephesians 6, in fact, let's, uh, let's read, um, I'm going to begin 
I'm going to begin with you. Um, in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and what, what the Lord did in Colossians 2, now we understand that he disarmed these principalities. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. But wait, disarmed principalities, disarmed powers, disarmed rulers of darkness, disarmed spiritual wickedness. So when you read that, you have to put in mind, that understand, they've been disarmed. So when we say, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, we have to remember they have been disarmed. Colossians 2 is clear. Verse 13, right through. He disarmed them. He took away their weapons. Back to Luke 11. A stronger man goes in and he disarms. He takes away the weapons of the enemy. So now let's put it together. The demons, the principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness, those wicked beings in, in spiritual high places have been disarmed. They have no weapons. Ah, that's the difference. So Satan's weapons against us are disarmed. What does he have against us? What is it? If you put it in one headline, what does the enemy use against us? What are those weapons? Our past. He is still called the accuser of the brethren. But what is he using against us? Our past. Our sins. Our guilt. You know, um, I want to explain something to you right now. We, we, we need to understand this a little bit. And I'm going to slow down a little bit to talk about this. So let's go to Revelation 12. And let's look at verse 10. Are you enjoying that back there, Chad? Because you know what, what, what people need to understand is the weapons of our warfare, we have not been disarmed. They have been disarmed. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have not been disarmed. We have weapons. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's in Corinthians. So we have weapons, which means we're not disarmed. But when we, when we read that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
or principalities or powers or rulers of darkness or any power, they are disarmed. But what did they have against us? Our past. It says in Revelation, and let's read verse, uh, verse 10 of chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You know, now some people say, well, that's Old Testament. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's still happening because it says he accuses them before our God day and night. Satan still has access. This is what people don't understand. And one of these days he will be thrown out of heaven. It says so in this portion. We'll look at it in just a second. But let's understand that he still has access like in Job. He is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10, who accused them before our God day and night. Now, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something that may be puzzling to you. It's not puzzling to me. It used to be puzzling to me, okay? But no no more. So Job 1, verse 8, God says, And the Lord said to Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, one who fears God and issue with evil, and that word, by, by, by the way, in, in Hebrew means shuns it. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for nothing? Didn't you build the hedge around him? In verse 10. Put forth your hand now and touch all he has, and he'll curse thee to thy face. Now, a very amazing portion is in Job 2, verse 3 that I've underlined in my Bible because that used to puzzle me. It doesn't anymore. And the Lord said unto Satan, Job 2 now, Job, because he came back, remember, to, to God's presence. And now the Lord says, where, where have you been? I've been up and down all over the earth and so forth and so on, walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I'm reading Job 2 now, verse 3. There's none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man, one that fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast his integrity, although, although you, Satan, thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Whoa, stop. God is telling the devil, you moved me against him. You moved me against him. He holds fast his integrity, although thou... You, you devil, movest me against him to destroy him without cause. That's why we need a high priest. Because Satan's job has been, for many centuries and generations, to accuse us before God. But Jesus stands there interceding for us, defeating the purpose of Satan. And you wonder why heaven was rejoicing in Revelation. Let's, let, let's go back to it. Why were they rejoicing in heaven? Because the devil had been there 
Because it says, I heard a loud voice saying, but now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ because the accuser of the brethren is cast down. They were praising the Lord for it. Let's not forget, he did not lose his position. In fact, the devil was cast out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw him like lightning fall down. But when he came to tempt Eve, Adam gave him back his office. He actually regained not only his position, but he he regained more when he tempted Eve. It's another subject. I don't want to mess you up. It's all in the Bible. Because in, in, in Isaiah, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. And we know he was cast out of heaven in that chapter, which was pre-Adamic. Now he's on earth already when the Lord creates man. The devil is there already. He's already a devil. He comes and tempts the woman and says, did God really say? And he takes from Adam the authority that God gave Adam. Which means he regained the place in the heavens again. And Jesus said very clearly, he is the prince and the power of, of, of this world. Because he said, the prince of the world has nothing on me. Paul called him the prince and part of the air, the heavenlies. Well, how did he regain that position? When he tempted Eve. And Adam gave it back to him. So he says to the Lord, when he tempted the Lord, he says, if you'll bow before me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world that are mine. And whoever I want, I give it to. And the Lord never argued with him at this point. He never said, no, you're wrong. So we have to understand something very, very important. That Jesus today is our high priest. So the devil will not gain. That he can no longer accuse us in the presence of God and win. So we'll talk about this maybe another time. But he will not lose that access till he's thrown out of heaven. Because in Revelation 12, 7 and verse 7, it says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels. They didn't prevail. That is the devil and his angels. Neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. Verse 9. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were also cast out with him. So that is future. So he still has, has access into heaven. But there's something very important. That God now looks at the work of Jesus on the cross. And that's why through the cross, we win. Through the blood, we win. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. So we overcome the devil not only by the blood, but by our word, our testimony. What God has done for us. We declare it and we believe it. So the Lord says in Jeremiah 31, 34, 
that he has forgiven and forgotten our sins because what the devil has against us is our past. The devil's weapon against you is your past. That's all there is to it. And you have got to start believing that your past is no longer there. It says in verse 34 of Jeremiah 31, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know you the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the, to the greatest of themselves, the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Period. Yeah, the devil wants us to remember it, but God says, I don't remember it. So we overcome Satan not only by the work of Calvary, by declaring the blood, but by what God says about us. But what, 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 is, what God has done with us and for us and through us, we are a redeemed people. We are a forgiven people. God will not remember our sins. Not cannot, he made a decision not to. I love Micah. I was just reading Micah a few days ago, and I love that portion in in Micah chapter 7. Let's, let's all go. Micah chapter 7. Oh, I love this portion. Let's look at... Sorry, I'm getting excited, okay? Verse 18 and on. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity, that passeth by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he, he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He'll subdue our sins, our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Micah says, who's, who's a God like you, Lord, that pardons all our sins, that you pass by the transgression of your people? You're not angry. You delight in mercy. You, you, you'll, you'll have compassion. You'll subdue our iniquities. Verse 9, hallelujah, 19, I should say. You'll cast all our sins into the depth of the oceans. Cody Ten Boom says, never go fishing for your sins because God threw them in the depth of the sea and puts a big sign that says, no fishing, no fishing over there. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all iniquities. First John chapter one. And the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But thank God for the, for the promise. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, verse 7 says of 1 John 1, we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just forgive us all our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all we have to do is stand and live by faith. That's what happened with Abraham. He believed God, and God declared him righteous, and that's what you and I need to do. Just live by faith. Hallelujah. In Romans 4, verse 20, and this is the, the, the key that, that defeats the enemy, our faith that overcomes the world and the enemy. And so it says in verse 22, Romans 4, it was imputed to him, Abraham, for righteousness, what he believed, now it was not written for his second, but also for us. It says, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him, verse 24, Romans 4, that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, our sins, 
raised again for our justification. Now listen, a very powerful thing. Jesus says, the Lord says to Peter in Luke, this is so powerful, this is profound. In Luke 22, 31, the Lord says to Peter, he says, Peter, I prayed for you because Satan has desired to have you that he may sift your life like wheat. But I have prayed for you. I'm reading Luke 22, 31, 32. That your faith doesn't fail. And when you are strong, strengthen or converted, strengthen your brothers. You know what is amazing? The Lord did not pray for Peter that Peter would not deny him. He prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. So when Jesus said, the devil wants to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. That your faith fail not. Wow. That your faith will not fail. He didn't say, I'm praying that you don't deny me. He's saying, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. Isn't that powerful? So the good news here for, here, here for us is, as long as we keep believing, <laughs> as long as our faith will not fail, we'll be all right. So what is Jesus praying for right now in heaven? What is he praying for? That our faith will not fail. Amazing, he did not say to Peter, I'm praying you will not deny me. Instead, because right after that, he said, you'll, de you'll deny me because Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. Right after he said, I'm praying for you, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. No, no, Lord, I'm praying to go with you, even to prison and death. And Jesus says, before, there in verse 34, I tell thee, Peter, before the cock shall not crowd this day before thou, that thou will, will deny me three times. But the Lord didn't say, I'm not, you know, I'm praying that you don't deny me. He said, I'm praying your faith will not fail. And that's what I believe Jesus prays for in heaven for you and for me. It's our testimony. Revelation 12, 11. By also our testimony. So how do we overcome the devil? Our faith. Our testimony. Don't you lose it. The second we lose faith in Jesus, it's over. But thank God our faith is strong. That overcomes the world. Lord, come on, I'm praying for you. Keep their faith strong, Lord. Keep our faith strong, Lord. That we will stand by faith for the rest of our life. Lord, this is a life of faith, for your word declares we don't live by sight, we live by faith. We give you all the praise, Lord, that your people will have victory after victory over the devil, after victory by faith. In the name of Jesus, I give you praise. Some, some of you needed this word today, because maybe you've been under attack. No more. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you for being with me. It's time now to sow seed in the Lord's work. No, no, I do not apologize for that. I don't apologize whatsoever for that. I want you to be blessed. I want God to bless your life. I want the Lord to increase you on every side. I want you to prosper 
I want you to increase. I want you to be blessed. I want you to see multiplication all around you. I pray God will give you a greater future than you can believe for. A more prosperous tomorrow than you can even have faith for. Because that's what it says, exceeding abundantly above all we ask or even think according to the power that works in us. The Christian life works in us. And my prayer for you is that God will continue to bless you, continue to increase you, but we have to obey. Obedience is the key to the whole life of Christianity. We have to obey him in the spirit, in the realm of the spirit. We have to obey him with what we do with our own bodies, even the foods we eat. But we have to also obey him in finance in how much we give. Because giving is the law of God. Giving is not his advice. Giving is his command. Jesus said, give. And that was a command, not just a piece of advice. If we don't give, we don't receive. We don't sow, we don't reap. Do you want to give yourself peace of mind? You really want to give yourself that absolute assurance? that your life will be blessed financially, be a giver. The Dead Sea doesn't give anything because it's dead. It doesn't give anything, it's dead. So why is the Dead Sea dead? Because it doesn't give anything. So giving means living. When you give, you live. So now it's time to give to the Lord's work. And I'm going to ask you to give right now, to go to the platform you're watching me on, and sow a seed so God can bless you. Or you can do it online. Go to our website, benahim.org. So simple. Or text, BHM45777. And I want to also say one more thing. If you get any message from someone who says that he is Benahim and asking you for money, don't you believe it? There's a lot of phonies out there who call themselves Ben Hinn. There's only one Ben Hinn right here, me. And you see my face and you hear my accent. I'm the real guy, not them. So if you get some email or something from somebody, but you know, well, is that Ben Hinn? No, it's not. I will never send you a message if it's not through our ministry, through our website, through our social media platforms and you're gonna see my face talking to you. So, thank you for being my wonderful partner, my wonderful friend, and thank you for giving, and as you give, you live. Hallelujah. Tomorrow, a powerful program. Ooh, you don't wanna miss that one. Much love, bye-bye.